This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm good. How are you? Very well, thanks. But after yesterday's optimism across all markets, we are down today. Is this primarily due to the scepticism we've seen about this Russia-Ukraine ceasefire? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the moves that we saw yesterday, I think I think there was progress, and I think that seems quite evident. Although you're kind of forced to take Russia at its word, which, if anything, has we've if, if we've learned anything over the last couple of months, it's that you can't necessarily do that. But the talks in Turkey seem to have progressed positively. The talk of uh, of troops moving out of Kiev and one or two other areas, or at least um, being vastly reduced in numbers, is a positive sign. Maybe a step towards something that could be more substantial, and and that seems to be what was being kind of um, was being celebrated almost uh, in the markets um, yesterday. But then it was so short lived. I think you can almost treat this as kind of cautious optimism with a healthy dose of scepticism uh, because of our experience from the last couple of months. Um, and we need to see more ultimately for this to be more prolonged. We've also seen markets do quite well over the last two or three weeks, given that these talks have started, given that we seem to have made small amounts of progress. They haven't broken down yet. Um, we've seen the markets kind of recovering over that period as well. So it's not like this came out of nowhere and that the markets were completely caught off guard. Uh, so... Yeah, I think the the move has been relatively short-lived. I think there's still a lot a long way to go on that front. And there's also the fact that we're not just talking about Ukraine anymore. We're talking about an invasion that's that's kind of developed now into a broader economic war between the West and Russia or uh, as the Kremlin would refer the between Russia and hostile nations or unfriendly nations. Um so even if this the, the talks that we see, we're seeing in Turkey do lead to uh, a ceasefire in Russian troops leaving Ukraine. If the economic war remains, we are still going to continue to see growth around the world impacted and potentially even recession. So uh, there's there's kind of more to it uh, in, in a way, even though obviously the most important thing is actually what's happening within the Ukrainian borders. And... Um, uh, and therefore, I do that. I think that's why we've seen this kind of retreat uh, in the markets today. And of course, we see this pattern every single time: markets go down, oil and gas go up. Oil currently up around about two and a half percent. Brent crude to one hundred and ten. There are various reasons for this, but I'm assuming it's down to partially the ceasefire. We've got this OPEC plus meeting tomorrow, I believe. And uh, there are also Iran factors as well and what's happening with the talks over the nuclear negotiations. So uh, plenty going on within the oil markets at the moment. There's so much going on. It's hard to know where to focus almost. There's so many different stories happening around the oil space at the moment. You've just alluded to a few. It feels like the Iran nuclear talks have kind of fallen onto the back burner. And we're not seeing um, any real sign of progress on that front, but that's something that could have brought 1.3 million barrels a day back to the market in, in a relatively short period of time and maybe alleviated some of those pressures. We've got OPEC plus meeting uh, meeting tomorrow and um, I mean we're not going to get anything from it. This is a this is an organization that struggled to hit its quotas for the, for a number of months now. If anything the gap has been widening rather than shrinking. So it looks like we're going to get 400,000 barrels a day that they're not going to be able to produce from May. 
uh, in addition, uh, which is in line with the plans which they laid out in the middle of last year. Uh, you would hope that the, that the group would announce that there's going to be a larger increase in order to try and alleviate some of those supply side pressures in order to try and alleviate the the um, the tightness in the market at a time when prices are really high and we're, we're seeing um, uh, it being a massive drain on global growth. But that just seems very unlikely. In fact, the group keeps talking about the fact that it doesn't want to be political. It's not a political organisation. Well, it's hard for a group to be apolitical when one of its key members is Russia itself. And um, you would argue that part of Russia's leverage is this kind of idea of, well, if Europe continues to respond, act in this way, and the US, etc., then oil prices will ultimately remain high. So I don't think Russia is at the table... Uh, advising the rest of the group to increase oil output and alleviate those pressures. So for an apolitical organisation, it doesn't half feel like a decision not to increase output at a time of a tight market and high prices. Uh, it doesn't feel like uh, the decision not to increase is anything but uh, political. So we're not expecting any difference there from OPEC Plus tomorrow. And then there's a Russian story itself. I mean, yesterday we saw oil prices Really, over the last 48 hours, we saw oil prices dipping quite significantly, and they've rebounded uh, once more. And I mean, when we're looking at natural gas as an example, we're, to we're seeing now, uh, uh, last week, Vladimir Putin ordering the central bank to come up with plans and uh, ways and means of, uh, of demanding that natural gas purchases uh, from hostile nations are done in rubles rather than euros and dollars, which they are so far. Now... That's a massive shift. We've actually seen the ruble recoup all its losses in the aftermath of this because what it effectively does is create demand for rubles if all of these countries are forced to convert their own currency into rubles in order to buy uh, the oil. Uh, it's effectively the Kremlin's way of getting around the sanctions which have been put in place as well. So there's got that additional benefit. But ultimately, the G7 has rejected uh, these uh, these demands because they say that the contracts um, don't stipulate that that is possible and they they stipulate the currencies involved so it's really in a sticky situation it'll be interesting to see what the central bank of russia uh, announces i think it's tomorrow uh, in respect to that uh, so that's kind of having an impact on the natural gas market more so up until this point because ultimately we're in a case in, in a situation where either one or both sides has to blink and it's hard to see that happening while there's still troops in russia it's hard to see a compromise while there's still say troops in uh, Ukraine. So it's hard to see the way out of this for, for both sides because a compromise is extremely difficult while the invasion is still happening. So the so that creates a, an additional layer of uncertainty as far as these are concerned. And you may say, well, why is that impacting oil prices? That's directly related to natural gas. Well, we've had comments today that suggest that Russia could look to expand it to other natural resources, which they export to all of these hostile nations, um, which would obviously therefore include oil, but also things like grain, etc., palladium. So there's, there's a whole host of other commodities that this could start to apply to, which could, again, create additional demand for ruble if these countries do abide or create uh, enormous tensions, uncertainty, maybe shortages. Uh, so this is one fact that it's also having an impact on the markets right now. Like I say, and this is just a few. I feel like I've missed half a dozen because there's so many things uh, driving commodity markets in particular at the moment and uh, with a particular focus around oil and gas. Fascinating time to be an oil trader, don't you think? <laughs> Probably an extremely difficult time. The volatility we're seeing there is excessive, very headline-driven, as we're seeing with the rest of the markets. But as I say, it all... It, particularly seems to be impacting the commodity space. And that's why we're seeing these kind of wild gyrations throughout the day. And meanwhile, Craig, we've got some 
recession warnings, uh, the yield curve now teetering on inversion. Yeah, so the yield curve is effectively plotting out uh, yields across anything from kind of short-term bills in the US, but also, of course, other countries. But we're talking about the US in this case, right through to the 30 years. So it kind of plots it out over time. And in reality, over that period, the yield curve should be rising um, at differing, diff differing degrees over time, depending on what the expectation for inflation and interest rates is. The general theory therefore being that if longer term interest rates are lower than near term interest rates then that suggests that the markets are in, uh, uh, expecting lower inflation and lower interest rates which could typically be associated with a recession because that's typically when a central bank will look to cut interest rates is to try and uh, protect an economy that is uh, undergoing uh, lower growth uh, or recessions so uh, when we start to see those dips in the yield curve then that's when we start to see these recession warnings we've already seen an inversion from five to thirty years not the most widely uh, viewed, uh, I guess, uh, area of the yield curve in terms of these recession warnings. The talk back in 2019 was the 2s and 10s, because in a high number of cases, when we've seen the two-year yield above the 10-year yield, then that's been a, a, a kind of strong recession warning over the next couple of years. Um, and we haven't seen that yet, but it's extremely close. We're really close to zero, effectively, at the moment. So basically, the yield on the 2 and 10 is roughly the same at this point. So it's very much teetering on a, a potential inversion. The Federal Reserve recently said that they actually look more at the lower end of the yield curve again, uh, which is not inverting, uh, although you you sometimes wonder, that will d does the Fed just say whatever it takes to try and calm the markets? But there's a lot more focus now on this. There's a lot more to focus on uh, about uh, inversion warnings, recession warnings, um, and uh, when is the siren going to go off uh, in this case and when is that going to negatively impact sentiment in the markets which is already fragile when is it going to negatively impact stock markets which have recovered extremely strongly over the course of the last few weeks so I think that's going to be part of the talk now going forward and especially ahead of the non-farm payrolls on Friday Indeed and what are the expectations for those US jobs figures? So, I mean, you kind of almost take expectations with a pinch of salt at this point because the numbers we're talking about are generally still so large and the numbers we're talking about is also, um, uh, are also, they're not as accurate, the forecast, as they once were for obvious reasons. But the expectation is another strong jobs report, 485,000 jobs created, unemployment dropping to 3.7% from 3.8%, so again, extremely low, indicating a very tight labour market, feeding into that inflation narrative. And average hourly earnings expected to bounce back strongly. We'll remember that last month, it was only 0% month on month, which was massively below. Last month was kind of like the perfect jobs report. It was strong jobs growth, low unemployment, but a no spike in average hourly earnings. But that's meant to reverse course again this month, 0.4%. Another low reading could start to uh, could start to form a narrative if we get two or three uh, lower readings in terms of earnings because this is kind of the negative feedback loop that we see. I know it's hard to say, well, how can higher earnings possibly be a bad thing? But it kind of feeds into the feedback loop in terms of inflation. If companies are having higher input costs and creating higher prices, which consumers are then paying, and then consumers are demanding more wages, you do continue to get this negative feedback loop, which leads to higher and higher inflation, which means higher and higher interest rates. If we start to see signs that, that earnings are stabilizing and moving back towards trend, then that could be one potential sign for the, for the central bank that this is not becoming a, a kind of negative feedback loop on from an inflation and interest rate standpoint, and that maybe things can start to stabilise once more. We're probably still a little bit too early in the process for that. I think there's far more likelihood that we will see something in line with these forecasts of uh, still high earnings, but that's something to watch out for going forward.
Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you.